0: So it was out of an act of kindness to myself that I decided that we would talk about the sutta on loving kindness tonight. And I brought copies for everyone um, because it's a wonderful thing to have. So these are yours to take home, please unless you already have six copies of your own, in which case don't, but if you don't have a copy, please take it, because you never know. So the Buddha gave this sutta to a group of monks who were about to walk back to their monastery through the very dark forest. And it was rumored that there were some fairly nasty tree spirits in that forest. And they were really scared. Now, you know, I don't know about the tree spirits, maybe. Some of you probably are quite sure of it. Doesn't matter. What matters is that they were afraid. And we all have that place in our own lives where we're scared. And where things aren't going so well. And so he gave them the sutta and invited them to chant it as they walked back through the forest. And it's a sutta in which you extend goodwill out into the world. And so as the story goes, they did, and they arrived home safely. And now we have the sutta. So I know any number of people who have said to me, there I am in the middle of the night, I can't sleep, i am got hot flashes or my body hurts or I'm worried, you know, all the different things that come that keep us from sleeping. And so what I do is I lie there and I do loving-kindness practice, or I say the metta or people who say, there I was in the hospital waiting room and I didn't know what to do, so I did this practice. Or I was in the doctor's waiting room waiting to see the doctor to find out the results of the tests. Or um, You know, so many. Somebody, my friend Sylvia Borstein, once on an airplane that was going back to the um, To the place they'd started from because they'd started to have some problems with the engine, so you know they were telling everybody, you know, took away all the the cups and the silverware and and made sure everybody's seat belts were fastened and they were clearly a bit worried. And Sylvia looked around and everybody was a bit afraid. And so what else was there to do except to do this practice? And she said, "You know, she did it for a while, and after a while, her mind calmed down a bit, and um, it became easier." So, it's it's a wonderful teaching. It's a teaching that actually, in a sense, it includes all of the teaching. You could do way worse than to just spend a lot of time with the sutta and figure out how to do it in your life. So, just to go over it for a little bit, the first thing that I always love is it talks about being skilled in goodness. And, you know, most of us sort of think you're just supposed to be good, right? Isn't that right? Well, you know, your mom thought so, probably, or Sister Ignatius or somebody, you're just supposed to be good. But most of us you know, it just doesn't happen so naturally. And so the the even just in that one phrase, the notion that it's a skill in which you can train, I think is a wonderful teaching to begin to understand that you practice being good. Sometimes you're good even when you don't feel like being good, or sometimes you don't do so well because when we're practicing something we don't always do so well. And then you go, oh look, huh didn't do so well that time, did I? And then you come back and you try it again. So it's a skill. And and it talks about being, you know, able and upright, sort of, you know, really wanting to be to be skilled and straightforward and gentle in speech. I mean, that's a wonderful line that implies all of the practice about wise speech, about being honest and beneficial and timely and kind in the sense of warm, um, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. That's a really good one for our culture because how many of us are easily satisfied? And you know, the whole at world of advertising is designed to see to it that you are not easily satisfied and that if you for a moment think that you have enough, you know, the mailman comes the next day with the next boatload of catalogs to remind you that you couldn't possibly have enough because look at all these things that you don't have, right? <laughs> oh, you know, it's enough to make one tired. Just carrying them out to the recycle bin makes me tired sometimes. So, you know, learning to be contented with what we have and to be easily satisfied and to be not constantly reaching out for more. And then this wonderful next line, for our busy world, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. So once in a while when I ask this question there's somebody, but anybody here who is not burdened with their duties? Right. So I thought. So, But it's interesting, isn't it, because it doesn't say don't have duties. It doesn't say don't have responsibilities. It's really reminding us to hold them in such a way that we're not burdened by them, which I think is a very different thing. But, you know, again, in our culture, particularly as it's become, I mean, I'm old enough now to really see that as it's become possible to do more things faster and faster and faster, do we live any more sanely? No. You know, do the, does that ability to do more create more space when we're sitting around and doing nothing? I wish, but rather, you know, the ability to do more means that, you know, there I am sitting in the sunshine waiting for an appointment, and am I just sitting in the sunshine? No, I get out my little smartphone, and I can check my email, and I can go shopping, and I can do, you know. I can read the news. I mean, it's a little scary, actually, when when we think about it. Not proud and demanding in nature. That's another one of my favorite lines. And my favorite story about that is that some years ago, um, the committed students group was memorizing the sutta. And one of the women in the group um, had some had young children at home, and they were kind of helping her. They were all memorizing it together. And one day my friend was, as moms often are, a little burdened with her duties and a little cranky. And um, her daughter, who was six at the time, looked at her and said, Mom, not your, don't be proud and demanding in nature. <laughs> so, you know, it can get turned against you. And then of course the kicker not to do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. So that's that's you know, that's a strong, strong statement because again, I'll bet everyone in this room, certainly I have, done many things that the wise would reprove. And so that, you know, that sets the bar very, very high. It makes it a very serious training actually to try to live your life in a way where you know that that no one would would take offense, and then it begins the th- process of sending the goodwill out. You know, wishing and gladness and safety may all beings that be at ease, and especially whether they are weak or strong, okay, omitting none. So again, a really, really strong line. This does this means you cannot sit there and say, Okay, I'm sending kindness and goodwill to all of these people, but not those people. Mm -hmm. You know, not Aunt Bessie or not the neighbor across the street who's created the war or You know, not those political people that are running the country that I hate, or whatever. You know, we all have those little holdback places. And the instruction on this practice is that the goal is to be able to extend this goodwill to everyone. Now, that's a place where I think it's really important to understand that goodwill and friendliness does not mean that you just lie down and let them walk over you. You know, it's really about approaching people in a way that the, the goal of meeting them is for everyone to be in a safe place. So I often think of Aikido when I get to this part of the teaching. Because in Aikido the understanding is that as the opposing force comes towards you, you get very big and very spacious so that you can absorb all the energy of the opponent and move the whole system to a safe place. Now that's goodwill. That's friendliness. It doesn't mean that you let your opponent smash you to the ground or hurt your children or any of those things. It doesn't mean that you don't stand up for what you believe or really work for freedom and liberation for all people. It just means that you do it out of a place of goodwill, even for those whom you have to push up against. So it's a very interesting place in practice, actually, to see if you can develop that kind of kindness. The other place that I really want to mention, so it goes on to say, you know, to do this reminds us of the image of a mother with her child, which is one that I like to come back to And talks about doing this practice all the time, standing, sitting, walking, lying down, free from drowsiness. But then there's this last couple of lines, you know. Uh, It says, By not holding to fixed views, the pure hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. And I always thought, when I first started saying the sutta, I'd get to these last four lines, I think bummer. You know, what is this? And because it feels so different from, at least it can, from the rest of the sutta. But, you know, as I as I practiced the sutta more and said it more and taught it more, I began to think a lot about how when we begin to practice goodwill and kindness towards all beings, what that does is it really demands that we not hold on to our stories about those beings you know you can't just say i hate that person i hate that politician i hate that neighbor i know who they are they're mean and evil end of story the the stance of friendliness and goodwill i think has a little interest in finding out who's in there who's in there so I always think of the Dalai Lama at this point because you know he's so good at when he sees people. Anybody, you know, he'll look into your eyes and go, hi. And you get the sense that he's looking right into you and he really wants to see who's in there. So it's that willingness to see who's in there, even with the really difficult people. Usually the advice in this training is to start with people who are just a little bit difficult don't pick your worst enemy and start there because that's hard but pick someone who kind of rubs you a little bit the wrong way you know maybe the person at the sitting on Thursday night who breathes hard or who comes late or whatever and then you know see what happens if you if you not hold on to your fixed view i mean you know for who who knows the people who come late maybe they've just driven over 17 and they've been really wanting to get here on time and there was a terrible accident and you know they got way slowed down and here they are finally so happy to be here and you're mad at them because they're ten minutes late? I mean really? You don't know, do you? We have no idea why people are late or or restless or all of those things. So to really not hold on to those fixed views and this practice really pushes us not to hold on to fixed views. and then, you know, that place of as we meet our experience because again you are invited tonight, those of you who were here at the beginning, um, to to really meet your own being here, your experience with kindness. You know, to meet everything that arises in the mind and the heart with some degree of friendliness. And that allows us to see it more clearly, to see see it for what it is. And and um, the line about being freed from all sense desires is a little tricky because I think we tend to read it in a very puritanical way. Like that means I'm not going to have anything. I'm just going to be living in a hut in the forest with you know next to nothing. But I actually think what really what's being pointed at is that place where we're not caught by always wanting the next thing. You know, we're not caught in that wanting, 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 wanting. And then is not born again into this world refers to the cycle of suffering that we tend to go around and around in. There's a whole teaching, on. it's called the teaching on dependent origination, where where we tend to go around and around. And in the classic understanding, what happens is you're born again and again and again into the human world. Again, you know, there are people who understand that to be quite literally true, and and some people who don't. But what I do know is true is that we can get born into the cycle of suffering over and over again. And every one of us knows that. We know that place where, where all of a sudden there you are, you thought, You know, you'd left the old job and you'd signed up for the new one, and guess what? It's the same job. You even brought the same boss with you, you know, or the same difficult colleague. Or you left one relationship thinking, okay, done with that, you know, you live the happy single life for a while, and then you find someone else, and you think, oh, yes, got it, this one's really different, except guess what? After a while, you discover, not so different. And it's very interesting to see how we put ourselves over and over and over again. And so this teaching is that that when we are able, when our training is such, is so deep and so strong, that we're not caught by our views, that we are seeing clearly, when we're not caught in that place of wanting, all of which are developed by practicing the sutta, then you are able, at least now and then, to step out of that cycle of suffering and not get born into it again. So there's so much in this, you know, and, and my own sense, I was lying in bed quite uncomfortable last night at one point, and thinking, oh yeah, loving-kindness practice, you know, and bringing it to mind one more time. Whether you do it by reciting the sutta or whether you do it by extending goodwill out the way we all do later on at the end of the evening, um, doesn't matter so much. But it's a wonderful practice for when there you are, you're kind of alone and you're a little scared and you don't feel so good or you're really tired And then you do this practice and the mind softens and relaxes just like it did for the monks in the time of the Buddha. That's the really, really wonderful gift of this practice. So I really invite you to take this home, learn the whole thing, learn a few lines that you really like, whatever appeals to you, and really make it part of your practice. So I'm going to stop there, we've got a few more minutes, and see if there's questions or wonderings about, we'll do a little bit of guided loving-kindness at the very end, as we always do, so you'll have a taste of it for any of you who have never done it before. But um, I'm happy to take questions about this part of practice, or anything else, since it's the, the night that's supposed to be beginner-friendly, although I look around the room, I don't see any. You know, too many real beginner-beginners, but beginner's mind, anyway. So, comments, questions? Please. So, Lula. if this is the sutra, then where did the chant, May I be a happy may if he stole, maybe free from something that caused him to
1: say? I have heard different versions of it, but
0: where did that? You know, I, I actually don't know the exact source of those lines. Um, I mean, obviously, like here you have the line, may all beings be at ease. My sense is that, um, and then there's that other chant, I will abide, pervading one quarter with the mind imbued with loving kindness and then compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. So that is a a sutta that comes from, um, it's somewhere in the Majjhima Nikaya, but I don't remember the number. so there are different phrases I think that have been sort of incorporated into the actual practice, mm-hmm. and it's an interesting question as to exactly when the practice, in the form that we know it, got started, and and I can't answer that. So, yeah. I always thought that was the practice because that's the first. Thing that, is the practice. Practice, so yeah, that is the practice. Yeah, that is <laughs> the practice, and I know that um, my own teachers. And it came out of the Burmese lineage, but I don't know how far back it goes as a particular practice. And it and the practice of loving kindness has been. It's actually done two ways. It can be done as a practice to develop concentration, because you're working with a set of phrases, doing it in a very specific way, which really gets the mind. So then it's about developing concentration, or or we can do it more in the way which. We tend to do it here, which is more about opening the heart and really extending your kindness and goodwill out to all beings. You know, the first time I ever heard it? It seems so radically different than the tradition I thought I was raised in, I and mean, my misunderstanding maybe of Christianity that, was, that you started with yourself and went out. seems uh-huh. so radical that you would actually you could Start with yourself. yourself to have, or wish to have. Well, it is mind-blowing, and there is a place in the suttas, actually, where the Buddha does say, there is no one more deserving of your loving-kindness than yourself. Isn't that wonderful? So, and I mean, in our culture, that's, that's I mean, there's, there are several stories about the Dalai Lama being astounded that in the West we have trouble with that. So it's a particularly Western thing where we have this whole thing about shame and you know no um, low self I mean low self-esteem was a concept that was really really puzzling to him. So we've done some strange things in the West, out of our culture, out of our Western culture, which um, this does counter. yeah, please so. Uh-huh. Like been, I could have been cycle learned better than uh-huh. possible. it's it's all to help my daughters to maintain friendships and, and stay connected with people who you know who might be having a hard time and uh-huh. turns out, you know, that they just need to get through whatever they're going through and so yeah. anyway, I really appreciate that concept. Yeah, it's it's a pretty wonderful one to begin to understand that <coughs> You know, there's a a Zen teaching about not knowing. You know, we love to know, don't we? We just so love to know. And, you know, I mean, even you meet somebody and you, you say, I know. My intuition tells me that. And then you have your story, right? And so often we lock into those stories about who somebody is on the basis of knows what, the color necktie they wore that day or whatever. And then we don't see it becomes a fixed view. And we're not able to step back and go, Oh, you know, he just learned that his dog died or whatever, which is, you know, might change everything. And so there's that that place of not knowing and really and I suppose another way to say it would be that it really gives everyone the benefit of the doubt, right? You just, you're just you willing to sort of go, I don't know why they're so cranky or mean or upset. And it's, you know, you can't be allowed to destroy the meeting or the office or whatever and to still meet them with some degree of goodwill and kindness. I do like to remind people that probably a number of you have raised children, so you know that place, or if you haven't raised them, you've helped to take care of them, and that place where you have to be really firm sometimes, and it's the kindest and most loving thing you can do, right? No! You you have to say no, and if you don't, that's the place that's not kind or loving. So that's important to remember when we're working with this sutta, I think.